Hello, everyone, and welcome to Petite to Queen's Claim Your Career Crown podcast. I'm your host, Lynn, and today I'm joined by our special guest, Jill D. Griffin. And we are going to have a really great conversation today. I just know it. We're going to be talking about how to create work-life balance while living with an invisible or non-apparent disability. And I have to say, this is very near and dear to my heart because of one of my dear friends. So I am so glad to have Jill here on the show. And I want to tell you a little bit about Jill because first of all, she's a career strategist and executive coach. She's spoken at Adweek, the Digital Media Summit, She Knows Media Event, and she has given talks to the marketing team of the New York Times, Hearst, and Cond Nast. And uh, as I go through my notes here, pardon me if I have to look down, um, Jill was a founder, founding member of the 212 Digital Advertising Club and was honored as a visionary at the 10-year mark. Congratulations. She has been listed as Advertising Agents 25 Women to Watch. She's won Adweek's Media Planner of the Year twice, and she has been shortlisted at the Keynes con i'm sorry the con media festival um i am really excited about everything jill does she's also the host of the career refresh podcast and is an executive career and gallup certified strengths coach she has over 25 years of experience coaching and building company cultures jill welcome to the show thank you and i'm really uh glad to be here to have this conversation today I think this is such an important topic, and I'm really glad that we're going to be talking about everything that we're going to cover. And for anyone who's joining us for that very first time, you know, don't miss out on a single episode by subscribing to Claim Your Career Crown wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, if you love what we're doing and love the show, please um, share the love and give us a five-star review. All right. So, Jill, let's sort of sort of go do some more background and really learn um, and share with our audience your journey to becoming a career strategist and executive coach. Okay, so this we're going to go back about 20 or so years, just as my own personal career was taking off, um, getting promotion, doing well. And right around that time, I took a solo trip to Australia. And while I was on my trip to Australia, I was in an accident that resulted in a traumatic brain injury. And um, basically, it was classified as a a TBI, traumatic brain injury. But with many brain injuries, they're insidious. And we don't always know when it first happens, all the glory of what what the new reality is. So come back to the States, um, continuing to work, but was finding that I was having so many challenges, figuring out what was... Um, a volatile work environment, like velocity of business, what was my own ego as I'm trying to, you know, do good and and make a name for myself within my organization, or what was actual cognitive impairment. And it became so stressful to me that um, I wasn't getting answers from medical professionals, again, 20 years ago, very different today, what we know about TBI and traumatic brain injury, that I yes, was still working with doctors and professionals, but really went out to do my own study. And I knew that I wasn't going to go to med school, but I started to study. I started to notice that there were things in my environment or with when I was eating that would trigger my symptoms above the baseline. So I really dug into studying functional nutrition, functional medicine, 
And then as a result of that, when you look at functional nutrition, it's anatomy, physiology, where it meets food. And food is everything from the physical environment to what you're putting in your mouth. And through that course of studying, understanding about mindset, cognitive behavioral therapy, positive psychology, studying all that, realizing that I could use some of those tools to work within my new invisible disability. I can't go back and fix the fact that I have a head injury and like I literally broke things. But how can I now use positive mindset to work within the environment that I'm in? So cut scene, I now bring it back into the office. I'm getting promoted. My team is doing well. HR is saying like, what are you doing? Because everybody keeps asking and wants to like work on your team. And my office ends up being like the little homestead where people would come out and be like, can I just hang out in your office during the day? And, and you know, it, it just was watching what I created for myself personally. Um, my executive leadership knew that I was, uh, at this point, I was a coach in addition to being a marketing strategist. And they were like, go like two for the price of one. Like people want, you know, you want to use this to help people perform and they're open to it. Great. And just really seeing overall productivity, revenue, um, delivering on goals and objectives of whatever the business was at hand and just seeing across the board, all of it improve. Um, I did that until 2017, in which I just got to a point where I loved my career. I loved so many parts of it, but I also got to the point where I was like, okay, what's next for me? So at that point, went on my own as both a consultant and a coach and have been on my own now for just about five years running my own um, career strategy, executive coaching and consultancy. That's how I got here. <laughs> oh, wow, that's quite the story and um, uh, definitely uh, a lot to overcome in the sense of uh, and how you approached it was incredible. So let's sort of talk about this a little bit more. How can having an invisible and or non-apparent disability affect your career? I mean, you told us a little bit about how it affected your personal career. How can it affect others? Yeah, so I think what it comes down to is, like if I just put it through my own experience, because if you look at me, you don't see a disability. Yeah. So you may forget that I have something. So even if I've told you, if I choose to disclose, right, the onus is on me to disclose. The onus is never on the company to pry. But if I choose to disclose, you're human. Humans are messy. You may not remember. So now I'm in a situation where if I have a non-apparent or invisible disability, I have to constantly remind you. And then what happens from the Often, again, I'm speaking for myself and many people I've spoken to. Obviously, this doesn't fit for everyone. But what starts to happen when it's not apparent or invisible is you start to feel like you're complaining because you have to constantly yeah. remind people, hey, you know, I can't. I know we're all having the employee outing on the boat, but I can't go on the boat or um, I need my uh, workstation to be closer to the bathroom because I have a digestive disorder and I might need to make, you know, and I'm not saying that you're disclosing this to your hiring manager, your boss, but if you choose to disclose through HR channels, if that's been made available to you, um, those accommodations, I mean, I know for myself very often, um, I was either working near a light that was a fluorescent light that was constantly blinking, which to somebody is just annoying, but to me, it could actually put me into some sort of episode. Um, but I'm not allowed to fix it myself because of union rules and buildings. I can't, I can't actually stand on my desk and just tweak it, right? But I have to constantly say, like, this is a problem. Or other times, you know, my workstation being situated near a hallway or a pathway, we're having a constant, constant perpetual movement near my eyes where I would go to stand up and I would fall over. Um, 
many employees and fellow colleagues have told me only recently that they thought I was drinking on the job. So there's a lot of judgment that can come up yeah. with it, right? Because um, at times I slur my speech, that still happens today. At times I know what I want to say, but I lose language that still can happen today. So if you don't know that necessarily that there is an, a challenge or an issue, there's a lot of, I mean, again, people are human, they're messy, they may judge and be like, what's up with her? Why is she behaving this way? So when a company can, in all of my years of working, and I, you know, there's a chance that I could be wrong, but in my experience, I never once saw in an employee handbook or in any HR training. And as I held officer level titles, C-suite titles and executive level titles, I was also never trained as an executive working for publicly traded companies that invisible disabilities or non-apparent disabilities are real. We were trained on diversity, equity, and inclusion. We were trained on you know, racism and um, sexism, but we were never Talk. We never talked about ageism, which, by the way, is part of inclusion. And so with disability, right, we were it was just never it was just like never discussed. And um, if we don't discuss it, people don't know what they don't know. So, again, yeah. it's my choice to disclose it. It's not the onus of the company to know it. But. Life would have been easier for myself and many others if there was a glide path, if there was an easy way for me to let HR know that I can I can work. I need some environmental adjustments. Um, my, de- my desk or my workstation needs to be in a certain part of the floor um, that every time the department rotated, right, you get new hires, you need to reshuffle the seats. So I was constantly having to have same conversations, right? That's what I'm talking about, where often what happens to the person who has the disability they're feeling like they're a burden or they're feeling like, oh, I have to let people know again. They're feeling maybe ashamed or self-conscious. And all of this has an impact on how you perform. So it's not yeah. just the philosophy of business and how you show at work, but because you're having this other challenge, mental or physical, you're now having to constantly sort of complain or tell people. And it's just a really simple thing. I think that we can when we're creating cultures of inclusion, and I know that everyone is highly concerned and it's overdue and much needed to be creating cultures of inclusion, we can also be thinking about this. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, because there's all kinds of different things. People have migraines. I mean, it just, that's it's very common. Depression. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anybody who has social anxiety, uh, di- yeah. any of that, again, may not represent visually. Yeah. Some people can't deal with, uh, large groups or crowds, um, I even, and that, that could be what we would think of just a small <laughs> gathering of a team meeting, all crammed into a conference room could, you know, be very disturbing to someone. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that, I mean, this is really. I mean, something as simple as like, um, you know, I'm a New Yorker and living in New York, I have so many um, former friends and colleagues that come from various um, cultures and various food related backgrounds. And based on either religious beliefs or cultural beliefs, there may be food that you don't um, consume. Right. So this is right. not, a, not a disability, but something as simple for inclusion as um you know, company is planning an outing or company is planning some sort of event or celebration, like, oh, we'll get everybody pizzas to celebrate. But over the years, I mean, there was foods that I couldn't eat because they would create inflammation in my brain. But watching my kosher colleague also say like, okay, I guess I just don't, I don't, I don't get to participate, you know? So 
I think inclusion, we need to be thinking about if we're creating a culture of inclusion, there's really easy ways of preparing for this and making sure that you're doing the best that you can um, to make people really feel like they're part of the team and that would help them greatly. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, <laughs> I concur on every level. So um, you, you touched on some of these things. So I think it'd be worth a deep dive a little bit more But that people who do have an invisible or non-apparent disability, you know, how can they better manage their careers? Yeah, um, you know, it's a, again, it's a really important question that needs to be decided on the individual level, right? So this is... Um, you know, this is how I did it and um, how I help a lot of my clients. My clients are a mixture of people who have um, non-apparent disabilities, but also other challenges that may not necessarily be classified as a disability. Um, just, you know, just a challenge within the workplace or a conflict with your boss, right? So when you're thinking about how you want to approach, you have to first decide what your non-negotiables are. Right. So for me, making sure sleep, exercise and proper nutrition, if I didn't have those three things on a regular basis, I would not be able I would not show up and do the work that was expected of me. So you have to get clear in that. You also have to decide if you want to disclose um, yeah. that wasn't an option through a formal method for me through my pers per um, personal career. But other people, I mean, if you work in a smaller company, it may become obvious or they may not be prepared for it. I always worked in large companies. Where I did disclose is when I had um, what I felt were allies. I had a couple of uh, supervisors and executive leadership that were just phenomenal and felt very comfortable exposing to them. And it was always around a situation like, we're going to do that business trip, but there's certain parts of the business trip that I just want you to know in advance. I'm not asking for special accommodation, but I'm going to need to do this instead. And then being like, oh, my God, of course, I'm giving you special accommodation. Right. So you have to decide your non-negotiables. You have to decide if you're going to disclose. If you choose to not disclose, that's your right. There's there's never a time in which you have to tell somebody um, early on in my career um, when I disclosed, I was fired from it. I was told that I could perform the duties, which today, 20 years later. I mean, it was illegal then. It would never happen today. I'm totally confident of that. But we regularly were expected to entertain clients and the president wanted everybody to go out on her yacht and I couldn't. So yeah. I was told that I wasn't a team player. And she's right. I, I mean, we could talk about the moral and ethics of it, but that doesn't serve me, right? So for me, it was like, where is she right? And she was right because I wasn't able to perform aspects of the job. So that's how I was able to work through it and be like, you know what, it's it's fine. I mean, again, I don't believe any of that would happen today, but 20 years ago? <laughs> yeah, well, I, I, I bet you anything. Some of her clients didn't want to go out on, 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 a, on a yacht to, you know, sometimes, you know, you do those types of, harbor tours or whatever and it's just like it's like i'm just like how when do we get to the dock so i can get off this thing I mean, <laughs> you, know, you know and it's like you could have been responsible for the the onshore entertainment that for the people who didn't want to go out on the stupid boat <laughs> well, you go out for two hours and we'll meet you for the meal back at the club or the restaurant yeah, or whatever, yeah. Right? and you could and be organizing that and and to your point there's some people who wouldn't want to go out on the boat for uh, various reasons, you know, uh, just really? some people don't like to be on the water. Okay. <laughs> I also don't know that I wanted the president of my department to be the one that was driving the boat. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, that, that there's that too now. And, and, you know, granted, you know, I do 
like being out on the water and things like that. But I will say that when I've done those sort of harbor things, I'm often after a certain point, I'm going like, when the heck are we going to dock? You know, I just want off and you're trapped like a rat. You know, you you don't have to have a vestibular uh, situation to feel seasick, but you just might how do I do this anymore? Right. Yeah. So anyway, again, you need to know your non-negotiables. You need to decide if you're going to disclose. If you disclose, again, I would get clear in the employee handbook or I would ask HR, what is the policy? And then what really happens then is that in, in talking to HR professionals today, they would make it clear either with building management or however every organization is going to be set up differently, but what your needs are. So if you need to have a workstation that's set up a certain way and then in a working from home environment, perhaps you need help with certain lighting or you need a screen that's a certain height, like you, whatever it is that you need. In my own research, I have found that um, only about 10% of professionals choose to disclose because of ramifications. Yeah. And most people with um, visible and invisible disabilities actually in the end choose to work for themselves so they can have more control over their environment. And again, that is a personal choice. But I think if we go back to the idea of diversity, equity, and inclusion, we are missing out on the diversity of thinking, the diversity of experiences, the, the inclusion by basically saying, like, there's an entire set of people that don't fit into how we should, we know how to work with them. And it's too hard or too messy. So we end up inadvertently excluding them. And I just think it's such a miss for any company to not be thinking about how they can create a future that is more inclusive. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, this is really a really good segue because you've already touched on how employers can really support um, their team members um, in their working environments, the culture, you know, and really accommodate all forms of inclusion and diversity, including people with in, um, you know, the invisible or non-apparent disabilities. And, you know, so you've touched on a number of things that really make sense on that. And I think that one thing that also is that when you open your paradigm, so let's go back to the, the boat person, yeah. it's sort of like you could see like, okay, well, just because, you know, my employee can't, uh, you know, this team member can't do this. Well, what about some of our clients who may not want to be doing this? Like, you know, take off your own blinders. And just because you love it and you're passionate about it, and I have to say it's probably tied up with some ego of showing off this this, this boat, um, <laughs> you know, at the same time, you know, some people that isn't, they're still great clients, but you want to create an, a, the same thing. It's like, let's, that diversity of thought and that experience can actually help you provide better service and a better client experience. Um, and I'm just sort of talking off the cuff here, but I mean, that's one of the most brilliant things about that bringing in that, uh, that range of diversity of thought, because people will view things from a different perspective or angle that you, has not even occurred to you. And when you you create that openness, you're going to be able to identify potentially some risk that you would not even have seen of how you could be turning off a whole bunch of people or um, uh, just completely, in this case, missing the boat. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, it comes back to we all have an internal bias, which is usually skewed yeah. negative. Right? We think like, well, who wouldn't want to spend a lovely evening in New York Harbor? And as we just stated, 
I can find quite a few people that also may have nothing to do with a vestibular issue might be like the idea of being on a boat with 20 people is the last thing I'd want to do. I'd rather sit in a restaurant or, you know, do, uh, um, you know, maybe some sort of other, you know, fitness related activity, which is something that's, you know, been more and more common again, pre pandemic, but, you know, everybody's going a soul cycle together or doing some sort of other environment. And then there's many people that that doesn't work for. But I think when we, when we think about planning and get out of our own bias and consult um, people that are not just like us, not being either not reporting to us or right on our team, and we're getting a diversity of thought, um, we're able to build a environment and experience that is going to work for more people. And then the end is that if more people feel included, then they're going to be weighing in and participating. And, you know, the reason for half these things is about team building or client service. And that's what you want. Right, right. Absolutely. So, you know, let's talk a little bit about the, you know, work-life balance um, and how this, how important this is for, for everyone, but also uh, in some cases, especially show, so for people with invisible or non-apparent disabilities. And what are some ways um, that, that they can manage this work-life balance better? Yeah, that, um, that approach for me is what I call the three C's, and it is clarity, confidence, and certainty. So the clarity comes into, as I stated before, your non-negotiables. What what makes sense for you? I hear this also, um, even if, again, you're not in a situation where you'd be classified as having a, a visible or invisible disability, it could just be what works for your life and what you want your career and your life to look like. So maybe that means you're leaving work at a certain time each day, or you're thinking about how are you weaving in, you know, um, I'm child free, but I have worked with many amazing mothers over the years and I've watched them leave work at, you know, 5 p.m., um, do family duties and be with their children and then jump back online at 9 p.m. And, and, you know, what I'm hearing from clients, and I've worked with hundreds of clients privately at this point, what I'm hearing from clients is no. When I shut down now at 5 or 6 p.m., depending on the culture and the job that I've signed up for, I'm spending the rest of the evening with my family, right? So that's what I mean by getting your non-negotiables. That That is the balance of what you need to decide for yourself. And again, you're not doing it through a lens of anger or dropping a boundary that you're like, just letting you know that I'm not working past a certain time. It's like, no, it's like when you're really clear, then often you're just operating that way and you're able to create the result that you want. Not always, right? This is why we work with coaches. This is why we need mentors. This is why we sometimes need therapists, right? All of those are great professionals to have around you. But the idea that that clarity is going to help you understand. And then where it's also appropriate, I would also check with your colleagues. Um, meaning someone else might be like, I'm a morning person, not a late person. I understand that not all businesses can function this way. My point is when we start getting clarity on what we each need, as humans who are compassionate, we can start making accommodations for each other and have a, a greater harmony within our workplace, even if we're working from home. So that clarity is important. The second part is around certainty. And that is really getting clear that the only thing in life that is certain is your thoughts. So choose them wisely. And if you're having pretty crummy thoughts around your situation, again, you want to either work with a therapist or a coach to figure out for yourself, 
what is it that is going on here? What are some of the beliefs that you have? Are those are those true? Is that a fact? Or is it just sort of your orientation? Again, we all have a negative bias. And get clear in that so that you're really clear on the thoughts that are working for you because your thoughts are going to create a feeling inside you. And then from that feeling, you're going to take action. And from that action, you're going to have a result. So you want to be thinking about, like I always say, like this is a multi-million dollar machine in my head. What am I putting in this brain to make sure that I'm performing and showing up in various different ways? So I want to be really clean, not only what I put in my body from a eating standpoint, but what I put in my mind. So certainty also for what I tell many clients is be really specific about what you're consuming from a media standpoint. Don't really think about, do you want to start your day with news? Do you want the world and the news outlets to tell you what your day is going to be? Or do you want to take a couple of quiet moments, whether that's meditation, whether that's just exercise, quiet, making a cup of tea in your kitchen, like whatever that quiet time is for you, you thinking about how you can create certainty for yourself before you start the day. I always want to put the good in before I then look at what's going on in the world. You know, I used to spend mornings that wouldn't necessarily be um, national or international news, but I would be reading all the trades to know what would be happening and what was going on with the stock market, right? Same thing. It's like, do I need to do that first or where can I create certainty? Um, And we create certainty based on facts. And then um, lastly is the confidence. And that's the idea that there's two, there's two ways of looking at confidence. There's self-confidence and there's confidence. Confidence, in my opinion, is about, I've done this before, therefore I know I can do it again. So when I'm posed with a challenge or I'm posed with how do I balance a work-life balance, I can think about, okay, this worked before or this didn't work before, so how do I want to do it again? And that action of repeated behavioral shifts is what creates confidence. What creates self-confidence, which is very important distinction in my opinion, is the ability to work through any emotion and get through the other side. So I'm not saying it's gonna be fun, it might suck, but I know that when I feel anxiety, that is just, right, that is just the primitive brain in the back shooting out signals and neurochemicals into my body, and I can get through that. It's going to dissipate. It might swell back up, but it's going to dissipate. So learning how to pay attention to the emotions that are coming out in our body, We may need to physically move, we may need exercise, we may need to walk around the block, we may need to like, literally pat ourselves and it's really coming down to there's the stressor flaming email from the client and there's the stress right which sorry to that wrong the stress is the flaming email from the client the stressor is the physical response in your body and you have to let that out so when you know that you can get through that situation that's what creates self-confidence so at this point where i am having done mindset and thought work and meditative work for 20 plus years at this point, I'm kind of like, there's nothing, there's nothing that I'm afraid of in the long term. That doesn't mean I don't have fear. Of course I have fear. I don't want to experience the yuckiness of things. I don't want to fail publicly or do any of those things. I I get that. That's, that can be triggering to you, but I know if I do fail, I have the tools to get through it. I know if I fall on my face, literally or figuratively, I can get through it. I know if I launch a product or offer a service and doesn't turn out well, I can get through it. So yeah. that construct of getting clarity on your non-negotiables, being really clear about what you want to think and creating certainty for yourself, which only comes from your thoughts. And then lastly, knowing that 
feelings are feelings. They're kind of harmless. They don't feel harmless. They're neurochemicals. They can feel really scary and be really anxiety provoking. But if you need to working with a professional, like a therapist, or depending on the severity of it with a coach, you can get through those things. And that's what's going to create confidence. Yeah, absolutely. I concur. And uh, I, that is such tremendous mindset work that you can do not only for your own personal um, growth, but also how it's going to truly serve you in your professional uh, life. So, um, Jill, thank you so much for sharing your experiences with your your own traumatic head injury and how others with invisible or non-apparent disabilities can ensure they they, they have and create that work-life balance for themselves. I know that our listeners are going to want to know more about you and where they can find you. Oh, great. Thank you. You can go to my website at Jill Griffin Coaching, or you can catch me for daily inspiration on Instagram at Jill Griffin Official. All right. That's wonderful. And we'll make sure that those links are included below. So they're just a single click away. And uh, this has been such an important discussion. I'm so glad we had that today and we're able to review all of this wonderful information. For those of you who joined us, thank you so much. Um, we love hearing from you. So if you have ideas like you'd like to share, you can leave a comment down below. Uh, and also if you would like to suggest a topic or you have a question, you can email us at join the conversation at petite And of course, to stay current on all of our insightful advice, our breakthrough advantages and incredible episodes like the one today with Jill, you can sign up for our weekly wisdoms newsletter at petite And thank you again for tuning in. And Jill, thank you. Thank you so much for this incredible, incredible discussion. Thank you. And I really appreciate you making the space for me. I appreciate it.